he is an internationally known Christian psychologist. He's award-winning author, a New York Times best-selling author. Uh, you have seen him perhaps on to today's show, the CBS early show, Fox and Friends, Oprah, The View. He is a consulting family psychologist for Good Morning America. He is the founder and chairman of the board of Lehman Academy of Excellence. He's the founder and president of Couples of Promise, an organization designed and committed to helping couples remain happily married. He's authored over 50 books. Some of them you've heard of, Have a New Teenager by Friday, Have a New Kid by Friday, Have a New Husband by Friday, Have a New You by Friday, and I want you to explain to this congregation why you don't have Have a New Wife by Friday. I just want you to... I want you to talk about that. If you, your wife's not here, right? Okay, you're good. And so, in addition to all that, he is a friend of this, this community of faith and had been visiting with us for, geez, it's got to be 10, 15 years around this time every year. And we're just delighted that he is here again this morning. Would you please welcome Dr. Kevin Lehman? Thank you, Joe. Well, it, it is home. This has become home. Good to be with you guys again. My goodness. And your pushy envelope thing, that's great. You got a hundred of mine. I'll write you a check. Just remind me, okay? That's so wonderful. You know, there's a church in Tucson. And by the way, did you hear that Chloe is marrying the little drummer boy? Oh, my goodness. Chloe, he's not interested in your questions. Don't ask him any questions. Put the Y word away. Just forget it, okay? He has no friends. You understand that? You're it, you're his life mate. I wish you well. How I remember the day. I won't go into that. But I want to tell you about a church in Tucson real quickly. I'm gonna run out of time here, I can tell already. Um, but there's a church in Tucson this is one of my favorite all-time churches right here in Erie, okay? You gotta know that. But there's a church in Tucson, Somebody of God Church, where the pastor meets, is standing in line. And again, Luke, listen up. Men don't talk. We don't share, we don't communicate. You know, we give fist bumps and... That's a big greeting right there. So the pastor of the church is in line at Home Depot. There's a guy in front of him. They're waiting because somebody's trying to get a price check on something, they start talking. In typical male fashion, what do you do? I'm principal down here at the school. Oh, principal, what do you do? I'm pastor. Would you ever like to get together and have a cup of coffee? Pastor says, yeah, sure. It's a neighborhood school. Long story short, about this marvelous church. They raised over $100,000 for that school, the local school. They sent 1000 1,000 people to the school, refurbished the school. And of course, it's in a rough area of town. And then they had a celebration for the teachers. And they invited all the teachers to come. Cynical me, when I heard this story the first time, I said, how many teachers showed up? He said, all of them. I about fell over. They invited the two janitors who managed that school. They gave the janitors a $600 uh, toolbox with tools in it. They gave each teacher a computer. Is that putting your, mouth, your money where your mouth is as a church? See, a legion of people can go and make a difference in community. And, and I gotta, you know, 
Jack and Pammy are wonderful people. This church is special, okay? But this church was instrumental last year in getting other churches together. I'm telling you, if, if you're going to win Erie, if you want to win your own family, you better build a strong family. And the family is greater than our own church here. It's the kind of things that he just talked about that just make this place a special place. So I hope you'll, you'll uh, be involved in that. I'm getting old. I'm going to sit down. Tired out. That one song, by the way, that reminded me of an old song, a rock and roll song that went on forever. How long did that go on for? <laughs> you got to remember, some of us old people, you know, we got to sit down about after 12 minutes or whatever. <laughs> Our topic today is today's four letter words. And I had an interesting discussion with my wife on this topic. She's a Baptist, she gets all excited about things like that. But anyway, it seems to me that a couple of the words that just get in people's craw today are the words authority and submissiveness. Now, I'm a speaker, okay? I've spoke all over this world. And one of the speeches I'll never forget was speaking at Women of Faith out in Las Vegas. 10,000 women in the round. I'm the only male in sight. Okay, the smell of estrogen about knocks you over. <laughs> and so I get up there in typical Kevin Lehman style and say, I've chosen as my topic tonight how to be a submissive woman. <laughs> well, if looks could kill, I'm a dead man. So authority, okay, and submissiveness are words that in the world's view are tough words. They don't like them. They're four-letter words today. I'm here to tell you as a believer, you have to understand what the word authority means. And by the way, is God an authoritarian? There's a tremendous difference between being an authoritarian and being an authority. God is the supreme authority. He is not an authoritarian. Authoritarian grabs you by the scruff of the neck and rubs your nose in it and tells you what to do. And pulls, pulls strings and you just, like in mannequin style, respond. That's not who God is, okay? And here's the interesting thing. With the authoritarians, and if you're an authoritarian parent, hey, you're going to do what I tell you to do, and a lot of us are those kind of parents, your kids are going to rebel. You're sowing the seeds of rebellion in your kid's life at a very young age, okay? The other thing that sows seeds of rebellion in the kid's life is being the permissive parent. So either extreme incites what? Rebellion. So you want to be in authority. Since I last talked to you, lots of things have happened in my life. Uh, I'm still very active on Facebook, uh, not as active as Pam Reisner, but <laughs> nevertheless active, okay? And on birthorderguy.com, we have podcasts available for people. We've surpassed 800,000 downloads. That was a information I got about four months ago. I'm sure we're ne next to a million now, but if you're looking for a little 20-minute picker-upper on marriage, Luke, did you get that? Podcast, slash podcast, yeah. They're weird, I'm telling you. They're very weird, but God made them, and we love them. We learned to live with them, okay? Now, again, my wife, she's not here this morning, and Jack, there will never be a book called Have a New Wife by Friday. I'm afraid of the woman. I want to tell you that publicly. 
Not, not going to do it. Value my body much more than that. But anyway, uh, lots have happened. And by the way, I brought some books along. I always bring books for you guys. You can't beat this one. These are fiction books. Book number one, book number two. You buy one, you get the other one free. And all books back there are $10. I can't do it better than that. Attention Walmart shoppers, you heard this right. <laughs> book three comes out in October. It's about a firstborn, a middle child, and a youngest child in the family of a very wealthy Democrat family from New York. The setting of the book, a lot of the setting of the book is right over here in Chautauqua Lake. When you're an author, you take liberty. So I've got Chautauqua County, New York, and the lake, and I've got Buffalo in this part of the country all throughout the book. It was fun to do. I did it with a guy who was actually, his office was in the White House. But I digress. I want to talk to you about authority. Now, authority in the home, being a husband, okay, being a parent, you need to be an authority. But I said a lot of things have happened to me. We started some schools out in Arizona, okay? Lehman Academy of Excellence, it's a charter school. We have high expectations for kids. We don't, expect, we don't accept excuses from anybody. Excuses make the weak what? Weaker, okay? And here's what we've done in our school. And we've taken the school teacher and we put the school teacher in what? What's the word? Authority. There's a revolutionary thought. Put the teacher in authority in the classroom. And guess what's happened? Our school, which started at 450, the state of Arizona said you'll have no more than 275 students. We've researched this to the nth degree. We started with 450. By mid-semester, our school had grown to 550. Schools lose students through the year. We gained 100. By the end of the year, by registration now, we open school in August, we have over 1,000 students registered with a waiting list of 140 to get into kindergarten, for example. All of our, all of seventh grades are, are now filled. But I want to talk to you about the authority of the classroom. The teacher, when two kids are doing something stupid or whatever, we instruct them to go over and say, hey, I am unhappy. And you give them the look. Okay? That's authority. We grant the teacher authority. We tell the teacher, when you send that kid to the office, you've just taken part of your authority cookie and thrown it on the ground. You've lost it. You're an authority. And so I've spent time teaching teachers, and I've done that for years, how do you stay in authority over children, many of whom you'd like to UPS to a far-off land <laughs> or kill them, okay? It's, it's, it's a skill to be an authority. But the bottom line is, and I tell the parents, don't come and give us excuses about your kids, about their behavior or why their homework isn't done. It's either done or it's not done. It's either yes or it's no. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, okay? So that's who we are. The worst thing that could happen to you if you were in Lehman Academy of Excellence is this. The teacher will say to you, well, let's just take any name, Luke. Aren't you glad you're here today, Luke? Luke, call your home. Luke, call your home. Now, I tell the teachers, you know, if your kid is unmanageable, and there's kids who are unmanageable in the classroom, expect a call from school. But you'll be surprised who's on the, on the phone because it's the little drummer boy who says, I don't know how I behave in the fourth grade, and you need to come pick me up 
now. Now, I've heard it from parents. Excuse me, that's a huge inconvenience, Dr. Lehman. Well, let me remind you that having children is a huge inconvenience. <laughs> but do you see what I mean about authority? We need to understand, understand what true authority is all about, okay? And some people have a problem with authority because they're too self-centered. And what we've done, which was certainly sort of cool for me, was I've written books like Making Children Mind Without Losing Yours and Have a New Kid by Friday. And both, both of those books have topped over a million in sales, which is a lot of books. But in that is this concept called vitamin E. Well, where does that come from? And keep in mind, Lehman Academy of Excellence is a public school. Where does vitamin E come from, which is encouragement? There was a guy named St. Paul once who said what? Encourage one another. And so when you walk into a Lehman Academy school, you see pictures of all these little kids in different grades who are encouragers. How do they get to be encouragers? They were voted on by their classmates to be the encourager of the month. They get their picture up there. So the whole idea is you're not the center of the universe. Now that's a, I'm telling you, that's earth shocking news to some parents that your kid is not the center of the universe. Well again, if you wanna bring up a godly kid, do you bring him up to feel like he's the center of the universe? We sung about the presence of the Lord this morning. If you want your kid to understand who God is, he, you need to know, he needs to know, who is in authority over who here. And God is the supreme authority, but not the authoritarian. So we need to model that in our home. We model that in our marriage, okay, all the way around. But what was fun for me is to put vitamin E, which I've written about, encouragement, versus praise, okay? That's what we're talking about. Difference in praise and encouragement. Don't have time to go into that, but you can do some reading on that if you want. But you want to be an encourager to one another. You want to be an encourager to each other in marriage and with your kids. Hey, great job. Kid brings home five A's. Wow, looks like all that studying you did really paid off. High five. That's got to make you feel good inside. Congratulations. That's encouragement not praise. And so you want that kid to have that inward satisfaction inside their life that they contributed, they gave back to the family. So balancing vitamin E with vitamin N gives you a healthy environment. Whether the healthy environment is here in your church or in the projects you take on, okay, in your marriage and all your relationships. This summer I'll go down and speak to a bunch of orthopedic surgeons in Florida. Okay, I always tell them this, I say, why would you invite me to come and speak to you guys? You cannot tell an orthopedic surgeon anything. <laughs> and see, and they know, they laugh at themselves, they know who they are. They're all a bunch of firstborn perfectionists who enjoy breaking bones. <laughs> Something wrong with those people. But I, I, I've grown to love those people. But again, you know, it's all about relationships. This summer I speak to the Tennessee Titan football team. Boy, is that gonna be fun for me, because I love sports. But what are we talking about? Relationships, authority. There's no I in team, you know, all this kind of stuff. All these guys that are all in. What will I tell those young guys that are 22, 23 years old making millions of dollars? You're all in. But on Friday night, when your buddy says, let's go to a strip joint, you're all in and you're gonna go? Let me news for you, give you news for you. You're not all in because those are the things that's gonna destroy your life, destroy your career. So what is it? It's, it's something, we're gonna to get to this in a minute, hopefully. You can think your way 
to behavioral change. You can think your way out of some of the madness you find yourself in. Now again, most authoritarians, when they're, when they're confronted with a situation, they react. You don't want to react. You want to learn to respond. Some people will learn this in marriage early. Your husband says something absolutely stupid. Dumb as a rock. Dumb as mud. What does young bride learn to say to unnamed husband who says something really stupid? Wow. Wow. Interesting. Fascinating, Luke. Fascinating. Now, you can correct him. You can pin his ears against the wall. You can castigate him for this or that. Not going to get anywhere. You have to have a soft answer, a soft tongue. That little rudder gets you in all kinds of trouble. But it gets back to, how do you honor? I've been married for 49 years in a row. Next summer, <laughs> next summer we hit the big 5-0. And one of my favorite stories, and my wife's a lovely woman, don't misconstrue what I'm saying, but she grew up with a critical-eyed father, okay? He was in the Air Force, and uh, that critical eye gets passed along to generation to generation. We built one new house in all the years we've been married, built one house. When you build a house, I got news for you, you have no money left over for landscaping. That's just the way it is. You get the house done. If you've done that, you know what I'm talking about. Well, we live in Tucson, Arizona, where weeds can become lethal weapons. They have thorns on them and they hurt. And one morning I got up about five o'clock in the morning. We had weeds all over the backyard. And in Tucson, you have a wall, a brick wall, believe it or not. It sounds weird. Around your home, around the backyard. And I got up at five o'clock, was in swimming trunks, and I weeded the entire backyard, the entire backyard. About 10 o'clock in the morning, I was done. It took about five hours of work, okay? I was exhausted, but I was like a little kid running to their mother, okay? I woke up my wife, brought her a cup of coffee, because I fear the woman. <laughs> I said, honey, come on, I want to show you, oh, honey, I don't want to go. Come on, I want to show you something. Come on, all right, I'll come on. She comes out, comes out in her little nightie with her cup of coffee in hand. I go, look. And she goes, oh my goodness. Oh, honey, oh my. And she looked down. And next to the cement patio was a little weed. I'll tell you, it looked like it was going to grow up and become a weed someday. It was so small. It was like this big. And she goes, one of these. I'm telling you, I had a gun, she'd be dead. I mean, it just, how could she see that one little weed when I cleared all that out? And see, that's what gets us into trouble. And that's what puts that authoritarian, that I'm the judge and you look down and I'll figure out, it gets you in trouble. If you can get to be the person of authority rather than the authoritarian, you're going to save yourself and the people you'll live with all kinds of grief. Now, uh, I gotta watch time. Oh my goodness. I'll come back next week.
I'm going to have to make some. I'm going to make some decisions here. Wow. When I was a young buck, I was 20. Let's see. Took me seven years to get out of college. So six. I was about 23 years of age, and my first assignment at the University of Arizona was to be uh, the head dorm rat of a men's dorm. And I did that and did a pretty good job. The second year before the school year started, I got a call to come and see the dean. Well, the dean was ultimately my boss. He said, hey, Kevin, I want to tell you, you did a good job this year over in Kaibab Wachuca. There's a name for you. Kaibab Wachuca dorm. I said, I want you to go over to Santa Cruz next year. I said, Santa Cruz? Hey, Dean, huh, I ain't going to Santa Cruz. That's where the football team was. And the year before, they put the head resident in the hospital. (laughs) Somebody let him have it, broke his eye socket. I mean, the guy was in the hospital for over a week. I'm going to go be the head resident over there? I'm smarter than that. I told him no. He said, Lehman, you can do it. So a great fear and stupidity on my part, I accept the job. I go over there. But you know what we did? We had a meeting, the first meeting I had with my student assistants. There were 12 of them, if I remember right, on our team. And one of the kids referred to the football players as an animal. And I fired him on the spot in our meeting. I said, these kids are not animals. You're done. I took a stand. These are college students. They have parents. And when these kids showed up and they come early for football practice in August, and in Tucson it's about 105 degrees, Okay, that's a pretty good guess at that time of year. Was that something holy? (laughs) Just a hole. (laughs) Careful, Lehman. Uh, But anyway, when those kids came to the dorm, you know what we did? We met them at the curb. All my assistants carried these big football players' stuff and put them in the room for them. At Lehman Academy, guess what we've done? When students come, to our school. We meet them at the curb. When kids are done at the end of school, we're at the curb again, putting the kids in the cars of these parents who line up in a very orderly fashion. When was the last time you met someone at the curb? When was the last time you just said, hey, we're here to service you? See, that's what the Christian life's all about. It's servicing people. Jesus washed some feet to prove a point. And And in our hurriedness, it seems to me that we miss opportunity to wash other people's feet, so to speak, to service them. One of the comments that we get from parents, and one of the reasons why they love our school, is today safety is a huge thing with parents. And they see our top administrators out in that heat, directing traffic, making sure people stop, making sure the kids get safely into the school and out of the school. The young parents are impressed that, oh, there's the top administrators. They didn't send somebody else out there to do it. And so if you're an authority, be an authority. Do your job. Do your job well. Oh, my goodness. Frustration setting in. Um, Executive decisions are flying by as we speak. Um, I mentioned to you, and I'm going to get into submissiveness because that's what this is basically all about. 
Submissiveness is a rough word today. Being submissive to one another, and that's what we're challenged with. And in the book of Ephesians, the 21, verse 21 says, honor Christ by being subject to one another, being submissive to one another. You have to know who your wife is, gentlemen. If you're going to be a good leader to your wife, okay, you need to know who you're leading. And most of us assume that our wife feels about things the way we do. In all probability, your wife feels very differently about almost everything in life than you do. You see things completely different than she does. They think different. They act different. I was in a hotel, seventh floor I get on, and these women are on the elevator, okay? And three of them. And the one woman has sort of like crinkly hair. You know what that means, women? Crinkly? Looks like somebody crinkled it, sort of bushy or something. And so they're talking to each other, and the one woman is going through the woman's hair as they're talking. She's fluffing it up through her fingers. I'm sitting there watching this. We stopped at the fourth floor. Finally, I couldn't hold it anymore. I said, you know, you ladies are weird. I said, can you imagine me and my buddy getting on the elevator, and we're talking, and I go through his hair? Just what would you be thinking about me? And they laughed. They took it in good nature. But again, God created us in such a different way. I mean, getting behind your wife's eyes, one of my favorite things, is not an easy thing to do. How many of you women, this is fun, how many of you women would like a, a foot rub or a back rub tonight? Hands up. I want your husbands to see it if you're married, okay? All right. Now, if Mrs. Uppington was here, my bride, you wouldn't see her hand up in the air. To quote her, I don't like being rubbed. Scratch me. So I learned a long time in life, ago in life that she likes to be scratched. I know exactly how she wants to be scratched. And it's weird. I won't go into the details. But, <laughs> but th there's a way that that woman likes to be scratched. A and she likes A, B, C. That's the authoritarian part of her. That's the perfection in her. She knows exactly. So if I start at C, she'll say, I don't like that. That tickles. Do that. She knows exactly what she wants. My job is to try to figure out how to navigate what her whims are all about. Oh, you're, you're in for a ride, Luke, I'm telling you. <laughs> It'd be nice your wish you're back in that cage. <laughs> but see, what I didn't realize was, and I remember the moment, because my stomach was upset the day I was married, and just, my, just rumbling in my stomach, and I was nervous, and my brother stopped, and bought me a Coca-Cola to help settle my stomach. And I remember sitting down there, standing at the end of that, and watching my bride come down the aisle. And my wife, quite frankly, is a very pretty woman. I mean, it's funny when you men meet my wife when she's with me. It's, I mean, you don't mask your feelings very well. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> like I should have married a pit bull. I don't like that. But my wife's a very pretty woman. She, and she's walking down that aisle, and she had these little daisies, which to this day she hates. She hates daisies because we spent a whole $29 on our entire wedding. Flowers. And uh, I didn't realize that underneath that bouquet was a rule book. And see, we all bring rule books into marriage. And, and what's funny is many times we don't show, show those rule books to each other. You discover it in all these years of being married to this marvelous woman. 
But the submission thing, I'll tell you, you, you have to understand that God does not bless self-reliant people. You get that? God does not bless self-reliant people. He wants us to rely on him for what? All things. So in our finances, in our relationships, in our job, everything we do. And, and he's a demanding God. Looking at the clock. There's so many things I could tell you. Well, Luke, you're just going to have to make an appointment to see me, I think. <laughs> Will temptation always be there? It'll always be there. You know, not once in all of God's word does it say to resist temptation. Half of you don't believe that statement, but it doesn't say it. It says resist Satan. That's a whole other issue. But temptation will always be there. Always be there. How do you handle that? Okay. I made the statement, you can think your way to behavioral change. You see a social situation. Okay. You stop. You think about how I usually handle my sister-in-law who I don't care for. Or my neighbor or this guy at work. How do I usually respond? Now, I said respond, but... The, the true word is how do we react? React. When we react, we're in trouble. The physician says to you, you reacted to your medication. If this will help you, let this help you. You reacted to the medication. That's not good news. If he says, you responded to the medication, that's good. So you want to learn to respond rather than react. You're not going to get all blown out of shape. So you're going to stop, you're going to think about what, what, what usually happens now when she says this, when he says that. You know what you say, because we're creatures of habit. We relive the same drama over and over and over again in our lives, okay? And so, anyway, you have a choice, and what I'm saying is you think your way to behavioral change. You think your way to a closeness with your maker, but some of you, because you grew up with that critical eye parent. Okay, let me give you this here. Hold on. Wrote this down to make sure I remember it. Somewhere. Donahue. Ah, here we are. Do you know this person? She's a procrastinator. He lives in piles at home and work. You should see his desk. She's an improver. She's always shooting on other people. You should do this. You should do that. He doesn't need enemies. He's got all too many for himself, inside of himself. I'm so old, I did a Phil Donahue show. Young people are thinking, who's Phil Donahue? <laughs> Phil was before Oprah. And I still remember Phil saying at commercial break, firstborn and controlling as I am, we will now go to commercial break. And see, firstborn children, only born children, are more susceptible to be that controlling person. And if you're in control, how do you get to a point where you say, God is in control? 
By what? By talking your way through it. It's hard to focus because all these other things interfere. So sometimes rather than just react, you have to stop back, claim the promise that God gives you. You read it. See, you're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to feel right. But doesn't mean you can't, what? Do the right thing by thinking your way toward doing the right thing in a social situation. Wow. Unfortunately for you, most of the really good stuff you didn't get to hear about today. You come back next year. <laughs> Not a terrible thing to say. You know, let's talk about a donkey for just a second before we go. Donkeys. I mean, I, I've used the expression, tell that to a donkey, kick your brains out. But donkeys are interesting little animals. And um, they have a cross on their back. Do you know that? They have a cross on their back. You look at a donkey, he's got a cross down his back. He's got this long line right down the center of his spine, and then across his shoulders completes the cross. How about this? Go be a donkey. Go be a donkey this week. Keep that cross on your back. And when things go bad, think it through without just reacting. Think about, okay, that's old self. What's new self going to do different? Are you going to see leaps and bounds improvement? This is a warning. You're not. But you do it incrementally. And what does it take? It takes practice. What I'm saying is your faith in God takes practice. And it's the rough things you go through when you trust God and he's there and you get through this crisis in your life that you walk away and again you realize that God was there for you. As the old poem says, he was there when you didn't even know he was there. He came as a lamb, the lamb of God. He'll come back as what? A lion, the lion of Judah. That's what we live for, eternal life. You leave this earth, you're in the presence of the Lord. The, the more years have passed in my life, I'm very aware of that fact. I want to serve him in all things. I hope you do too. In everything you do, you give thanks. Not always easy to give thanks when things don't go well in your life. But that's what the Bible teaches us. Let me just close this in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this great group of people. Thanks for the great leadership here at the church. And as we move forward, Lord, building strong families. I just pray that that will come true, that we will build strong families here. We know that that's how to build a strong church. That's how to build a strong Erie, Lord. Bless these people. Just pour your bounty out upon them as generously as possible. We love you, and we love the fact that we can trust you in all things. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.